You are listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You'll need to forgive me this morning because I know that I'm the foreigner, okay? In fact, I'm, I guess, the furthest foreigner. So I'm not trying to give anyone a history lesson. But I was hoping to have Melvin here to at least back me up and give me some amens this morning. And then Melvin left me to go to Cape Town to celebrate Moraine with the rest of the family. So I'll forgive him, I'll forgive him. But here we go. In 1901, the black residents of the 6th Municipal District of Cape Town were removed. This neighborhood, this neighborhood known as Canaladorp, was established as a place for a mixed community of freed slaves, merchants, artisans, laborers, and immigrants. After 1901, the next big hit came after the 1950 Land Act uh, made it mandatory that areas remain separate. And so beginning in 1966, and then lasting until 1982, all the families from that district, um, District 6, were removed and their homes destroyed. Now Melvin would have a lot more to say about this than I do. In fact, if you've not been to Melvin and Moraine's house and been shown the pictures and been told the stories, then I would encourage you to invite yourself over and to do that, okay? You should do that. Melvin is one of those people that lost his homes during these years, lost his home during these years. And it's something that has uh, been a sorrow that he has carried with him for his entire life. And it's shaped his entire life too. Sometime I would actually like to have him up here to explain the whole thing from his point of view again. Um, Or perhaps we should just plan a church trip to the District 6 Museum because again, if you haven't been to that, it's also quite an experience. But all that to say, Melvin's story is just one story of many. Now, as you could imagine... uh, If organizations took it upon themselves 
to rebuild homes and place their previous owners back in them, that would be a pretty spectacular thing, right? Um, And for some people, this has actually happened. And there's a a heartwarming joy that you get from reading an article about that, uh, perhaps on the internet or in the paper, or seeing a video on YouTube even, um, about when that happens. And yet, the circumstances of those individuals are fairly spectacular. Now, as you've all heard me say, and I have a habit of babbling on about, you can't go home again. Home changes. You change. The people there change. Nothing remains the same. Things constantly shift and move. Now, many efforts have been made to uh, correct some of the injustices of the past there in District 6. And some people have returned to the place where they were born and raised. But the truth is, we all know it, real estate is a precious commodity. And there's a lot more money to be made than there are memories to be kept. There are waiting lists to re-enter, but that means very little if you're, you know, financially still living in 1982. So will it ever be the same? No. Is the place still unique? Yes. It's beautiful. And yet, it's haunted by its past. And the character of Kanaladorp is still rich. Yet, there's no going home. Let's go a little bit further back in time now. The year? 164 B.C. Alright, so that's before Jesus. And after years of disgrace and dishonor at the hands of Greek overlords and then Persian overlords, a proper group of political scullies takes charge of Jerusalem. These people, a Jewish family called the Maccabees, they led a mini-revolution, killing off their Syrian overlords, after those overlords used the temple and specifically the Holy of Holies, that center, that heart of the temple, as a toilet. The Maccabean leaders uh, rededicated the temple after taking the city back. They melted down all the money of their overlords and printed the face of Jacob Maccabees on the money and said, This is true Israel. We have done it. We have established something great here. And this is the event that would go on to be remembered each and every year as the Feast of Dedication, otherwise known to us as Hanukkah. You've probably seen that word around the Christmas season. And this is what Jewish people today celebrate when we are celebrating the birth of Jesus. When District 6 fell, it was devastating for those that called it home. And and symbolically, it was the realization that no tradition or human perseverance would be able to stand up against the the grip of an empire intent on control, right? The Feast of Dedication was the yearly memory of what ended up being a failed Jewish political takeover. And yet even the memory seemed to be the brightest light that God's first people had 
during those days when Jesus was ministering. They compared everything to what could have been before the Romans came. And when the Maccabeans were creating Jewish culture again, making the rubble of the temple shine, and instructing moral change according to God's law. Which is why this conversation that we read today was taking place. Everyone that's standing around Jesus is hoping that He is going to be that next leader that comes in and makes everything right. That makes home, home again. And yet there is no going home. And Jesus knows that this isn't even the home that God's people should be looking for. They should be looking beyond it to something greater. Not going back to a golden age which was always destined to pass to, to pass and to crumble, but looking forward to the more glorious and beautiful picture that God had promised through the prophets of what would be. Just like each and every culture that uh, we all come from have some aspect of it which is beautiful. And, and um, God glorifying in its sense that this is the way that God uh, created or established diversity in the world. And yet it, it's never an end in and of itself. It's always looking forward to something more and to something greater. Maybe even we could look at Revelation chapter 7 and say, when each and every one of those tribes, nations, and tongues is brought together in all the beauty and all the glory of all the nations that was destined to be given to Jesus as praise and as glory, when those things are all brought together and experienced in one place at one time, where the beautiful diversity of all of God's people is brought together as one and experienced as one. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And so the Jews gathered around Him and said to Him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, if you are the one that's come to rescue, just tell us. Tell us plainly, they say. This phrase here, how long will you keep us in suspense? This is actually picture language that John is using for us here. You can imagine like um, a marionette, you know, a puppet on strings. That's the kind of suspense that we're talking about. We're not talking about on the edge of our seats. Say it. Say it, Jesus. We're actually talking about our souls are suspended in despair, waiting for someone to come along and say that they are going to make things right again, that they are going to recreate the homeland and set everything the way that it was meant to be. Just tell us. If you're the one that's going to do that, tell us now. In many ways, the Jews are actually saying, hey look, Jesus, this is the Feast of Dedication. 
There is political fervor right now. Everyone remembers what the Maccabeans did. This is the week that we're doing it. You, tell us now, if you're the one that's going to do it, that's going to take advantage of this excitement and this time of remembrance. They want to know when Jesus' alleged saving will take place. Now is the time for insurrection and rioting and political takeover. When the people are all remembering their glorious past. Jesus, tell us now whether or not you're going to have the ability to do what you claim. What kind of Messiah are you exactly? And Jesus speaks back to them very plainly. He says, I told you. Jesus had already spoken clearly about who he is and what he planned to do. He planned to gather his flock. He says this at the beginning, uh, or the end of chapter 9, beginning of chapter 10. He promises to gather his flock, to forgive them of their sin, and to be uh, that good shepherd who would rescue this flock from danger. In Ezekiel chapter 34, all over Ezekiel 34, we actually have the beginning of Ezekiel chapter 34, we have this this picture of what a good shepherd's going to look like. And yet, even as Ezekiel's talking about it, you suddenly realize that's not the shepherds we have. Speaking of God's first people and the circumstances that they were in outside of Jerusalem, in exile, in slavery. And they're looking around and they're saying, that's not, that's not the shepherds we have. And towards the end of that chapter, we see this, this picture that Ezekiel paints for us of what a bad shepherd is. Even though those people that are reading and hearing Ezekiel already know what that bad shepherd looks like. And so right in the middle of that, Uh, God, speaking through Ezekiel, says this, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the, all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the high mountain heights of Israel, there will be their grazing land. And they will lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. And they will feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek out the lost and I will bring them, bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And so here is Jesus then about to remind them of just what he is planning to do. Jesus answered them, I told you, I already told you. 
and you did not believe. The works that I do, I do in my Father's name, bear witness about me. That is, they show you a clear picture of who I am. So he's saying, my words have been clear. My actions have been clear. And you are refusing to see and hear what's happening right in front of you. But you know who isn't refusing? His sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. I love this. That <laughs> It seems like such a simple thing to say, right? Who are Jesus' sheep? The ones that hear His voice. If you're sitting here this morning, these words are spoken to you. If you're hearing the words of Jesus right now, you need to know that He is speaking to you. Right? We know that Jesus is the Word made flesh. We know that the words coming out of His mouth are God's words because He is Himself God. And these words that we have written down for us in this physical form that we are to speak aloud to one another, Jesus is saying to you this morning, you that are hearing My voice right now, you are My sheep. And not only that, it's not just that you know Him, but He knows you as well. We read in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, but not that you have come to know God, uh, sorry, but now that you have come to know God. I love this little, this little thing that, that Paul does here. He, he, it's like he corrects himself mid-statement. And he says, now that you have come to know God, wait, rather... Now that you have come to be known by God, he says, he, he switches his language around. He's like, you thought that you were the one that understand who, to understand who God was. Well, he knew you before you knew him. And he has come to know you. Paul continues on, actually. How can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Paul says, I'm afraid that I have labored in vain over you. <laughs> now we studied this together already, but look, what is he talking about here? He's talking to Jew and Gentile. And he says, you're both tempted to go back and to celebrate whatever it is, your feast of dedication. But that's going back to something that is no longer a reality. Truth and reality is standing in front of you is what Jesus is saying. And you can hear it in my words and you can see it in my actions and my sheep have seen it and my sheep hear my voice. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is a promise that John repeats from Jesus throughout his gospel. That, that there's no one that um, God has given to Jesus to be a part of his flock that's getting out of the sheepfold. Right? 
God's going to keep them there. Jesus is going to keep them there. Look, it's, it's a short text today. It's, it's a simple text. What do we need to hear from this text? Well, here's our big idea for today. Jesus is your rescuer, your shepherd, and your king. Jesus is your rescuer, your shepherd, and your king. I'm actually going to go back to Psalm 23 for just a minute here. Because we want to hear David's confession about what it means to have the Lord as your shepherd. Um, Yes, this is David writing about his experience. And yet we also know from Jesus' own confession about Himself and Jesus' character and His actions throughout the Gospels that He is claiming to be not only the Lamb that is sacrificed for you that we read about in Revelation chapter 7, but also as we read about in Revelation chapter 7 this morning, He is your shepherd. So when we read Psalm 23, yeah, understand it in the context that David's writing it, but also understand that the Lord Jesus is your shepherd. And because of that, you do not need to want. You do not need to look past Him to try to find something else greater than Him that you can hold on to, grasp onto, and, 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 and place trust in, thinking that maybe... It's going to become home again one day. And I can go there and everything will be made right. David writes that the Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. He's saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, I know that He is going to do good by me. I do not need to want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We read from Ezekiel chapter 34. This is what a good shepherd does. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. What's the soul again? That's the very inside, the deepest part of the person that everything else flows out of. It's the center of who you are. So from the outside, my physical needs down to my very core, Jesus is restoring you. He leads you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We do believe that God the Holy Spirit works in us to grow us, to transform us, to mature us. And yet we also know here that there is one path, that narrow way that our song spoke about this morning. And that is the path that Jesus has blazed for us. It's the only true path of righteousness. Because there's only one place that we can get righteousness. And that is from Jesus. Right now, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and yet we don't need to fear evil. Because God is with us. His rod and His staff, they comfort us. He has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. David goes on, You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. This is where Jesus is leading us right now. When He says that um, He is our shepherd, that His sheep hear His voice and they follow Him, this is exactly the path that Jesus is leading you down. Now I do understand that life doesn't always look like green pastures, right? Oftentimes it looks a whole lot more like this, this valley of the shadow of death that we're all walking in. One of the books I'm reading to my children at nighttime right now is called The Shepherd's Life. And um, it actually is not uh, anything to do with faith. It's actually just about sheep, okay? <laughs> it's actually just about sheep. And I love it because in the book, um, the, the farmer, at some point during the year, in order to get the sheep nice and fat, he takes them up into this mountain valley where they're trapped in. Once they get in there, they can't figure out how to get out. And it's green and it's lush and there's a stream and they all come out there fat and ready to be sold for a nice profit. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, I love reading this story. I love reading about this time of year when he takes them up into this valley and he puts them there because these sheep all, you know, he's having to move them all the time so they don't eat the grass down to dirt and ruin the land. And he's having to chase them all over the place all year long until it's time to go up into this valley. And he puts them there. And there, they're safe, they're secure, they're well-fed, they're well-watered. All their needs are taken care of. Even though for them, most of the year looks like the valley of the shadow of death. In fact, I think it was two nights ago we were reading about a couple of Jack Russells that were attacking the sheep that had gotten loose in the neighborhood and were causing all kinds of problems. And yet, in that valley, they're safe, they're secure. That's the type of valley that Christ is leading you into. It's actually the place where you already are. Where you are safe from death. In fact, Jesus says all of His sheep, He's giving eternal life to them. They cannot perish. It's the place where you already are, where you have um, the, the, the blessing of having God's Word given to you a green pasture that you can feed from all year long and be blessed by those words that come from Jesus' mouth. So, Jesus is your rescuer, rescuer, your shepherd, and your king. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.